Hello and welcome back to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We're so glad you're listening and we hope you continue to do so. Today's episode is a lesson from Brother Bobby Kilman, who is continuing our John series in chapter 7, from verse 10 to verse 44. His sermon is titled, If You Get the Correct Response to Easter, You'll Get the Correct Response to Pentecost. Well, it feels good to be in here tonight. Don't you just uh, lift up your hands one more time and just say to the Lord, Lord, we're thankful that we can gather together in your presence, Lord, that we can feel your touch. We owe you everything, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If we did nothing else tonight except for a reach out to the Lord in a moment like this where our spirit is nurtured and, and where he could put things into us by his spirit in a moment of worship, That'd be a good night to be at church. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Thank you for your worship. Thank you, worship team. You can be seated tonight. <clears throat> amen, amen, amen. Well, I, uh, I, I know this is kind of an odd night. The Lopez's are officially downstairs. Felt weird seeing them down there tonight. And, you know, but, but we're hallelujah. We love Jesus. We're gonna do. We're gonna go on, and brother, brother Brzezinski's back there. If I get too out of line, so my wife's not here. It's still dangerous. I don't know what to do about that. Pray for her. She's doing really well. Her surgery went well, and uh, many of you have uh, expressed your uh, well wishing and uh, kindness for her. And I, I appreciate that very much. She loves this group. We love this group uh, very much, and have been involved in it, you know, since the Stone Age. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm just trying to get comfortable, Brother Norman, because I love Jesus. Uh, turn to your neighbor say, I love Jesus. All right, everybody doing good? I feel really weird. Okay, uh, it's just like locked. Thank you. I am going to, I'm going to be, because you guys are all like sitting way away. This is like teaching at IBC. I'm going to have to come <laughs> teach right here. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, we're, we're working through the Gospel of John, and, and I, wanna, I, I have a, a tall task tonight. We're going to go from John... Uh, 7, 10 through 44. I'm just kind of going to talk at you a little bit tonight and see uh, where we get to. Um, if I gave this a, a, a title tonight, I, I think this is what John is aiming at in his gospel. And the overall theme of this passage of Scripture could be something like this. If you get the correct response to Easter, you'll get the correct response to Pentecost. Or to say it another way, uh, if you respond to Easter Sunday, it'll bring you to Pentecost. All right, and that's where we're going to see where John gets to. So let me set up kind of like a theological situation. Uh, how many of you enjoyed Brother Brzezinski last week? Was it last week? Week Two weeks, yes, because, uh, yes, uh, our wonderful uh, uh, IBC alumni from Spain was here. And uh, he may have had a sister that's, she's not here tonight. Well, I can't even pick on her. That's terrible. I have to look for somebody else. I apologize in advance. <laughs> Equal opportunity offender. Yeah, all the introverts are ducking. Okay, I'll behave, Brother Brzezinski. I'm going to behave. Uh, so uh, it, he did an incredible job setting up the context of the passage, right? How many enjoyed that? So uh, th let me give you kind of the theological bit behind it, and then we'll move into kind of the uh, analysis of the text itself. The, the theology behind it is really fascinating because this is the claims that John is making in his epistle, or epistle, in his gospel rather, 
He's saying that uh, kind of the four, how many have ever heard of the 400 silent years or so-called 400 silent years? It's the time uh, that was between the Old Testament and the New Testament where there was no revelation from God, no spoken word of God. All they had was the word of God. There were faithful people living for God in that time, but there was no uh, word from the Lord spoken uh, during that time until Jesus, you know, the advent of the New Testament, of course, uh, we could talk about John and his witness. And of course, I'll resist the urge to get into this too deeply. But in, in, in this so-called 400 silent years, John is saying something like this. The drought is over, and God is speaking. And, and uh, that, that longing that was anticipated in the Old Testament prophets for that new age, that new time period, that, that new epoch of time where God is going to start doing all the things that he promised in the Old Testament, John's saying, now's the time. Right? And what's been anticipated is here. And, and in terms of what that means for the people of God, it's powerful because uh, uh, how would you like to have been in those 400 silent years living for God? Now, you can die saved, but man, what a time, right? And so John is saying, he's writing, he's showing in his gospel that uh, everything that was uh, anticipated, Brother uh, Brown, is now uh, here and the time is here. So you ready? Participate. Grab a hold of Jesus and take the ride, man, because this is going to be good. Now, now <coughs> excuse me. I don't know about you, but I love roller coasters. I lo- I, okay, uh, I, I can be pretty much, don't, don't, Brother Rodenbush, God bless you, sir. I just started. I'm getting wound up. <laughs> it's reckless. It's reckless out here. <laughs> I am, uh, I am, uh, I can about be talked into anything. It's terrible. Uh, I was on a, a senior class trip. My first, uh, my boss uh, back there, Brother Roman Bush, just walk in. I was, uh, I, I taught my first four years. They gave me a freshman class, said you're their advisor, so you kind of make them work for four years, and then you get to go on this senior class trip. It's, it's kind of fun, Brother Ross. And so there was this young man. He's now youth pastoring in Mississippi, Zach Smith. Zach Smith talked me into bungee jumping. This wasn't that many years ago. So I'm pretty sure if we're somewhere and there's an IBC uh, or maybe young adult trip where we go and they have parachuting, I'm fairly certain that all you would have to do is kind of just suggest. Because I love that stuff. I didn't realize I was a thrill seeker, but I am. I kind of am. And so, you know, we were at uh, headquarters at uh, World Evangelism Center and in, in headquarters in uh, St. Louis. It was fun to be there hanging out with all the representatives from different Bible colleges and education institutes. And, and this uh, wonderful, I'm not going to let him remain uh, nameless because I don't want to pick on him too much because uh, he was right and he convicted me and I don't want to give him credit. <laughs> and I know this is bad because I'm feeling really loose tonight. And so uh, he gets up and he begins to teach and he's talking about thrill seekers. And he's like, you know, most of ministers thrive on thrill seeking. It's actually really bad for your health because you learn to operate on that high level of emotion. And at the end of the day, you, it's, it, it's really bad for your heart. It's kind of like uh, being in the kind of fight or flight mode, uh, crisis mode. And, and it kind of runs your adrenaline high. So you learn to, in ministry, if you're not careful, he's like, you're going to kill yourself like really early because you're learning to run on adrenaline. I'm like... I don't like him anymore. He's like, and then he says, and, and then he starts talking about coffee. I was like, I rebuke that. Because <laughs> when you see me, you see the coffee, you know. <laughs> I 
So you ready? What John is saying is, get on board with Jesus, because if you get on board with Jesus now, the ride's going to be fun. But if you miss getting on board with Jesus, you're not going on the ride. Right? And so, uh, all, all due respect, how many of you hate roller coasters? You hate them. Just Alex. <laughs> There's no hope for you, Rev. <laughs> Sister Kelman hates him too. And so uh, I'm, I'm there, my, my wife, I'm married to her. We're almost 20 years into this thing now, come December 19. And she hates coasters because she gets motion sickness and things like that. I love them. Seth? Right, so that's what John is trying to do. do. He's trying to encourage them in some way to say, look, this incredible thing is happening, and if you don't get on board right now, you're never going to get on board because you're going to miss the train. Now, I, I was just urged to go down this road uh, too deeply, but let me quote to you. This is for those of you who want to have, like, ammunition. There's a guy, his name is James Dunn. He is a Baptist, kind of one of the quintessential uh, Baptist scholars right now, and he's got a book called The Theology of Paul the Apostle, and uh, for those of you who like books, uh, on page 418, he has this great quote. He says this, that the experience of the Spirit was as decisive for the Christian self-understanding as was Jesus' resurrection. <laughs> so you ready? When my Baptist friends wonder why I'm talking in tongues, I'm going to say, let me tell you what one of your scholars said. He's saying that the resurrection of Christ proved the time of God's interaction, everything that was anticipated is now here. And if you get on board with that, it should lead you to the upper room. You ready? If you don't get the resurrection of Jesus, you ready? You're never going to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll, I'll try not to get too preachy tonight. Uh, but what that means is, if you don't have Easter, you're not going to have a Pentecost. Because, okay, uh, he's saying something like this, that if you understand the Lordship of Jesus and His resurrection from the dead, and what that attests to, that God is at work in the man Jesus, and if you buy into that, you ready? You're going to get that other thing that's coming down the road. But you ready? If you don't get Easter, you're not going to get Pentecost. You can't reject who Jesus is and expect to get to the upper room. Right? So no, no Easter, uh, Brother Norman, no Pentecost. But you ready? No Pentecost, you don't have the Easter either. Well, that's why the apostle says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Don't tell me you believe in Jesus unless it led you, ready, led you to the upper room. Because if you get Acts 1 right and his resurrection and his discussion to the apostles, then you're going to get to Acts chapter 2. All right, so, uh, and I'll, hallelujah. Okay, so what does that mean? You ready? Uh, I think it's fascinating. Now, now, this book's old, right? Not this exact particular book, but the revelation of God is old, right? How many years since Jesus was around? Yeah, about a couple thousand years. Now, here's the question that you should ask yourself. And someone, someone's asked it, like Lessing, this very incredibly liberal man, says, how is it that we can attest to some historical event that happened in the past? And, he, and it's called Lessing's Ditch. You know, he says, there's you and there's this thing that happened in history, and it's way, way, way long time ago. How in the world do you think you can believe in that thing that happened a long time ago and let it define all of your existence? How many of you believe in the resurrected Jesus? You ready? How many of you know that it forms everything that I am? 
Lessing says, how can you point to some historical fact? How many of you are in college right now? You ready? How many of you heard something liberal? Hmm. Some person trying to tear down the Bible. They would consider themselves progressive. And this is what Lessing says. There's this gap of time that you can't get across. How do you know Jesus actually walked where they said he walked? And see, here's what, here's what the power of Pentecost does. Is, is, is each generation getting further and further from Jesus? Or he asked two questions. Is it where the historical Jesus fades into the past? And you ready? The coming of Jesus fades into the future. What in the world? How can I speak to that in the context of now? Now here's the powerful thing that we understand as Pentecostals. No, every generation retains connection to Jesus. How? You ready? By his spirit dwelling on the inside of us. <laughs> And see, that's why just trying to base your, fat, your faith on some type of historical Jesus is not enough. you got to have something for right now. And each generation after the time of Jesus' resurrection has the same witness because that same Jesus that was them is living inside of us. And that means you can't attest to Easter without having Pentecost. And that's what John is going to lay out in this uh, particular text. That's why... Uh, let me say it to you in a little bit of technical terms. The Christological confession is necessary for soteriological realization. Now, what does that mean? Now, see, there's an IBC student saying amen because he was taught some technical terms. The Christological confession, you ready? Jesus is Lord. Jesus as the Christ. Jesus as God incarnate. You ready? Accomplishing what only he could accomplish. If you don't get that right, you ready? It's necessary to get that right before you can get to a statement about salvation. Now, I'm going to be a little pointed tonight because, you ready? If you believe something else like the doctrine of the Trinity, you're going to baptize wrong. And because you don't get Jesus right, you're not going to get salvation right. And you're going to miss the upper room. You ready? You're not going to have a Pentecost, even though you say you believe in an Easter. You didn't get Jesus right. He's not a second person. He's not a part of God. He's all of God incarnate. And without that understanding, you're not going to get your doctrine of salvation right. Amen. That's why it's essential. Okay, now let's dive into the text. Hallelujah. Okay, somebody watch the time for me. This is terrible. Oh, so much to say. 825. Okay. Uh, who can I trust with this? Oh, yes. Wave at me like at uh, 8.30. No, let's go 8.40. Hallelujah. I can do this. Mm. All right, so John chapter 7, Brother Brzezinski, this, uh, this is what they're saying about Jesus. It's fascinating. They're saying, uh, well, he's possessed. He has a devil. They're going to say things later like he's out of his mind. They're going to see him as some type of harsh and false teacher, as you said already uh, last time we met Brother Brzezinski, and, and 5,000 people leave. Doesn't sound like good church, but it does sound like the ministry of Jesus. What's your church look like? <laughs> does it look like the ministry of Jesus? What would Jesus do? Some people would run off because he preaches too strong. That's why we're not in the attraction model. We're into the conversion model. Okay, and that's what we're about uh, in this group. And I understand we could, okay, can I be concrete? 
We could, we could attract a hundred young adults right now by doing certain things to attract young people that would appeal to their flesh and carnality. And we'd have 5,000 carnal people hanging out with Jesus who are only there, Brother Brzezinski, like you taught already, instead of do it, you ready? People that are interested in his confessing him as Lord and going to the upper room. Okay, so that's what we're about in this group because we're actually, okay, we're actually going to make an impact for eternity, not pretend that we're having good church. All right, so I appreciate every one of you being here and your commitment to uh, doing the work of the Lord. That's why John and his apostle writes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 uh, and 15. I'll have to let you read all of it on your time. He says, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Get the Messiah right. God dwelleth in him. <laughs> See, because by the time you get to John writing his epistle, Acts 2 has already happened. And if you get the confession of who he is as Lord, you ready? Then you're going to lead to the upper room because Jesus, the Old Testament, is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And when you get led to Christ, he's going to take you to the upper room. All right, now I know that's, that means that we understand who we are. Right? So all of Jesus is that they're talking about him. When the religious establishment at the time is looking for him and he's not there. And uh, John chapter 7, cheat, Brother uh, Brzezinski, go back to verse 8. He says, go, uh, Jesus says to his brothers, uh, go uh, ye up unto the, uh, to this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast. Everybody say yet. Now, if you, if you want to do something that's fun, highlight that in your Bible. You just highlight yet. And then go find other translations like the... NLT, the in, even the footnote in the NKJV, the NIV, and the ESV. And you'll see that they say, um, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to the, this feast. What's the problem? Well, just in a couple of verses, Jesus is going up to the feast. I hope you have a Bible that doesn't have lies in it. Can Jesus lie? Okay, then probably you should have a good Bible translation. And, and remember, this is not a translation issue. This is the Greek, Greek subtext. It's the Greek text underneath the Bible. And that's why you got to make sure uh, somebody's not going to give you a book that will rob you of faith. Okay, hallelujah. Because Jesus says, I'm not going. Uh, and when the in, if he says, I'm not going, that's a problem because he's going to break the law either by lying or not going. Because three times a year, all males that were in Israel had to go up to the feasts. Okay, so uh, Jesus has to go, and he goes, the scriptures are clear that his, his brothers are going, and they're trying to pressure him into going. They don't really believe. And he's going to go in private, not public. How many of you know Jesus had half-brothers and sisters? Yeah, okay, good. All right, so he, he's going to go secretly, but not sinfully. He's going to go incognito, but still incarnate, right? You ready? He can't be a liar, folks. How many of you know Jesus can't lie? Okay, good. Just a note on translations for you. Then at the peak of the crowds, what's interesting, uh, there's these outsiders. When, when all of the, you know, the Jewish establishment that's mostly not interested in Jesus and the people that he's ministered to are already there, Jesus waits uh, till the great day of the feast and he goes and he does what rabbis do. Now you look it up yourself. Uh, he goes in 710 uh, through 13. You can uh, read that and the people are fearing expulsion from the synagogue because uh, the, the religious establishment there is so conflicted over Jesus that they're afraid to say anything in terms of an opinion because once you get that type of tyranny operating in religious circles, it'll kill anybody. All right, tyranny at any level of any human institution is wrong. Can I get an amen? We t how, okay, how many, of you want a how many of you want a tyrant as president? How many of you want a tyrant as a 
pick, pick your category, in the House or the Senate. Okay, we can't have it in the church either. All right, and, and, and so Jesus knows kind of what's going on. And, and tyranny and man-made religious structures out of control uh, will kill Jesus. Hallelujah. There's a point there. All right, so Jesus goes, this is the context from which he's, he's walking into. The Sanhedrin's looking for him to kind of kill him if they can, or catch him and, and do bad things to him, arrest him. And then there, there's this mixed multitude of people talking about Jesus. And, and, and then John gives us five reasons to believe in Jesus, uh, in his mission and his messiahship. And the first one is this, the divine source of his teaching. So he says, uh, uh, Jesus uh, taught, teaches, and he begins to teach, and I'm going to let you read the text on your own, 14 through 16. And he goes on, and he begins to talk, and he says, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Now, what you need to do, <laughs> Sister Barker is underlined having never learned. Does that mean Jesus was stupid? Thank you. No. How many believe Jesus was stupid? Okay, I was waiting for lightning if a hand went up. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. What that means is Jesus is not a part of the Jewish, the religious establishment. I'll be a little more pointed. He's not credentialed at the rabbinical schools. Now, I'll just go on record. Now, I teach at IBC. I believe in education and training. But you ready? That piece of paper is only a piece of paper. It does not qualify you for ministry. Jesus' qualification was my teaching is in God. My, the source of my authority and teaching is ultimately in God. Don't tell me what men think. And so when the rabbis would walk in, they would begin to teach as all the rabbis did in the, in the, in the temple. They begin to teach and, and they would gather a group of people. The, the temple was a massive court, by the way. And you'd have all these little kind of groups teachings. And, and there was this attraction on who was the best teacher. And, and they had these kind of sparring matches and all sorts of terrible things that went on in those uh, settings. And that's why they tried to trap Jesus multiple times in the Gospels. And so uh, Jesus says... Uh, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Now, that's two things. It's a defense of himself and a rebuke to them. Because the teachers would get in there, and this is how they would lend credibility or authority to their teaching. They would quote other rabbis. And they would show that they're in lockstep with the tradition. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He says, I'm not going to let, uh, I'm, you ready? I'm just going to talk about the scripture. I'm going to teach authoritatively. And they said, how can he do this? Now, what's fascinating to me is, uh, is that Jesus is removing himself from being under the authority of those people because he says this, I understand what you value. You value tradition. Tradition that has removed itself from the intention of the text. I'm not going to submit to that authority because I don't have to. There's a higher authority, God. That's why people are trapped in man-made tradition today because people value the tradition of men over the scripture. That's why, oh, help me, Jesus. That's why you can't go to a church that doesn't value the word of God as the primary thing that qualifies all the teaching and preaching in the church. And so uh, Jesus refused to submit himself. Jesus never, Brother Brzezinski, quoted a rabbi to add to his credibility. Now, here's the thing. How many of you know that on Mars Hill, Paul quotes uh, many about, depending on what you think, there's an argument for like seven or eight Greek poets. How many know Paul quoted them? Okay. Even your own poets have said. Now, what's interesting, Brother David, is Jesus does, or Paul does that, but he doesn't do it to add credibility to his argument. 
He's saying, even the enemy admits that I'm right. That's why I quote all sorts of people, Catholic and Baptist and Presbyterian, because they're admissions. I'm not looking for credibility to add somehow. You ready? All you need to do is stand on the word of God alone. And if you stand on the word of God alone and don't get trapped in man-made ideas, you're going to see Jesus for who he is. Okay, good. All right. So I'm, I'm okay. Let's see if I can hurry. Okay. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Hmm. Okay, so second thing. Oh. How many minutes do I got left, Rev? Hallelujah. <laughs> so they, here, here's what they do. I think it's fascinating. Um, they will tell you that in a, in, a, in a debate, it's like saying, you know, uh, well, here's, here's why I believe this. And somebody says, oh, yeah, well, you're ugly and your mama dresses you funny. Well, what did they just admit? In an intellectual enterprise, in an intellectual debate, they just admitted defeat, Brother Norman. Because when you can't attack his teaching anymore, you have to attack where he's from and what is in his person. You know what that means, David? It means they're admitting to Jesus we have nothing left to say on the subject. I think that's incredible because they say, look, how could Jesus be the one? He, he hasn't learned. You ready? Because if I, can't mess with, uh, if I can't mess with the authority of your teaching and the Bible that you're, you're quoting to me, then what I'll do is I'll just say, well, you don't have a PhD. No, 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 no. And Jesus is like, I don't care. My authority comes from God. Now, uh, now let's, let's go uh, quickly because uh, they couldn't refute his teaching. What's, what is interesting, verses 17 and 18 the second reason he said you got to accept who he is is his desire as a man to do God's will. He says, now, if you underline in the Bible, uh, in verses 17, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Now, what you can do is underline, Brother Brzezinski, like, if any will do his will, he shall know. You ready? But if you don't want to serve him, you're not going to understand. Okay, now we're going to get a little pointed. This is what he's saying. In order to get my teaching about who I am, you have to have desire to do my will. But unless you have desire to do my will, you will not understand. Now, I'm going to be a little pointed. That's why people have walked into this group and they haven't got the Holy Ghost and they say, I don't see it, and they walk out. Why? Because they're not hungry enough. It's not a truth issue. It's a hunger issue. And, and you ready? Jesus is saying, understanding is the reward of faith. If you're hungry enough, you'll see it. But if you're not hungry, no amount of teaching, no amount of preaching is ever going to convince you because your heart is not invested in the right things. But if any man will receive him, he gave power. I understand. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as would receive him. Revelation came, understanding came, and they understood his mission. You ready? And those are the same people that you find in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. But if you're not hungry for truth, John is saying you're not going to see it. But if you are hungry enough, no devil in hell can stop what God is going to give you. Uh, Here's the question tonight. Are you hungry? Because that's the condition that sets whether or not you're going to see Revelation. 
Okay, that's what John is saying. Okay, hallelujah. How many minutes I got? Two. I can do this. All right, so it's fascinating. Let's look at one more verse. Chapter 18. Jesus says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his own, but he that seeketh his glory, uh, that sent me, he said, "That's what I'm doing. I'm seeking the one, the glory of the one that sent me." The same is true, and there's no righteous unrighteousness in him. So he's deferring the Father's authority. So, uh, what does that mean? It means that he's not building. Again, this is a rebuke, uh, uh, Brother Norman, because he's saying something like this to them. Uh, we'll go back to, uh, to chapter five, verse forty-four. How can you believe? How many of you would like Jesus to say that to you tonight? How can you believe? What a rebuke. Look at what Jesus is saying. How can you believe which receiveth honor from one another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Jesus is saying, how can you believe when you only seek the glory of one another? You ready? Now, you young adults, this is what's going to happen. If you're seeking the glory of your peers over the praise of heaven, you're not going to see him. Now, I know you're here tonight, and I'm not preaching at, necessarily at you because I know if you weren't here tonight, you wouldn't be the hungry ones. The ones that really need to hear this message are the ones that's not sitting in the seats tonight. But I just want to remind you that whenever you get into the throes of temptation and the glory of the world will be offered you, the enemy will offer you opportunity. You have to say, I'm seeking only the praise and the glory of above. You ready? I don't care whether I'm ever accepted in your groups. I don't care if I'm ever defined as successful. But you ready? By your terms, I'm seeking only the glory that's above. Because if you don't get that, Jesus is going to say, how can you believe? And to these very, very educated people, and that, that are, are trying, and Jesus says, look, you, don't, you say you keep the law, and you're mad because I hear, hear, heal the lame guy, right? You, you read the passage, you'll get it. He says, I heal, one, I heal one lame guy, and now you're ready to kill me. Right, that's back a few verses, right? I've done one miracle, Jesus says, and you're ready to kill me because it happened on the Sabbath. And then he goes into circumcision. He says, Didn't, don't, doesn't even, like, you got circumcision from Abraham. Moses gave you the law. But doesn't, you know, acts of compassion... Uh, aren't they allowed to be performed on Sabbath? Later, Jesus is going to talk about if the ox is in the ditch, you don't leave it there. It's going to hurt itself and die. You get it out of the ditch, right? Why? Because that's an act of compassion. You ready? He, he talks about circumcision, that if a, a boy is born and you get to the eighth day, uh, medicinally back then, that was the healthiest option they had, you circumcise him on the eighth day. And you ready? That's not breaking the Sabbath. Jesus never told them, break the law. He's saying, no, no, you don't understand the law. David, he's saying people that are experts, that say they're experts, and they know the law backward and forward. He's saying, you don't even know that there is acts of compassion, that the Sabbath was given to man, not man to the Sabbath. And here you have the so-called experts, you ready? They're complaining that Jesus is breaking the law, and he's actually fulfilling the intention of the law. If you're going to help that young boy be whole and healthy, and I, I choose to make a man entirely whole, how is that different? You don't understand the law. And Jesus says, by the way, and you're seeking to murder me. You're going to break the sixth commandment and talk to me about whether or not I'm dealing with the heart of the law? And the people that should have seen him, and should have known it. And I understand. It's not a truth issue. It's a desire issue. And that's why some people can't see doctrine clearly, Brother John. Because at the end of the day, they don't want to see it clearly. It's a desire issue. 
Let me see if I can wrap up. Hallelujah. <coughs> All right, we're doing good. You guys got time for one more verse? Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why are they hypocrites? For you pay tithe on mint and he lists all these. You're walking down, you find all these little herbs growing by the road. You're going to make sure you pay your tithe on that. But you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment. I wish we had time to talk about Mishpat. Brother Ross, mercy, chesed in the Hebrew and faith. I know he's speaking Greek, but he, we know what that means. And the trust that all of that brings out of that. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about breaking the law. I'm just saying that if you really had a walk with me, you would understand the law's intention and you would get who I am. <coughs> but it's a, it's a hard issue. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to quit. Vindication of his work through the miraculous... 732, you can look at it in your own time, through 34. The echoes there of Proverbs chapter 1. Turn ye at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Come come help me, Alex. Or David, I'm sorry, forgive me. Uh, yeah. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 1. Now, now when, you, when you kind of in your own devotional time, if you feel so led, look at Proverbs chapter 1, 23 through 28, because... Uh, uh, John chapter 7, starting at verse 32, going through 36, echoes these texts. It's beautiful. Turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, wisdom says. I will make known my words unto you. See, this is what Jesus is saying. God has revelation, but you won't turn at his reproof and receive instruction, so you get nothing poured out unto you. But then Jesus says... In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Fifth reason, the fulfillment of the Old Testament expectation is here. The Feast of Booths, we don't have time to talk about it all tonight, but I, I think it's fascinating. It's one of the most jubilant, celebratory feasts of all the three feasts. And so as they're... Uh, they're coming in, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and on the seventh day of that, great, uh, that week-long celebration, every, every morning, they would start out, Brother Ross, they, the priests would go, and there would be this sound, this signal uh, of, a, of a trumpet, and, and, and they would go out, and, and they would start the day by uh, going and getting this uh, golden uh, vessel, and they would dip it into the pool of Siloam, and they would come up to the altar, and they would circle it, and they would pour it into this thing on the on the altar as a, a votive offering, as a praise offering to the Lord. They do that for six days, and on seven days, they do it seven times. And what they're doing is they're anticipating, I, I wish we had time to talk about the Hillel Psalms that they would begin to quote, where God is prophesying with the time where he's going to pour his spirit out. And there they are in the temple doing ceremonial stuff, Brother Brzezinski, and Jesus is right there. And these pilgrims would come in crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save us now. 
And they're crying out, save us now. Messiah, come. You ready? Pour out your spirit unto us. And Jesus is on the side saying, look, I'm right here. You are missing me. And he stands up on the, on the seventh day of the, of the great feast and he says, All ye that are, are thirsty, come unto me. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You know what he's saying? I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. Some miss him. Because still, the, thir- the thirst, uh, Brother Norman, the thirst isn't quenched in the temple. Under Judaism. And Jesus is saying, the reason your thirst is not being quenched is not that the water's not available right now. It's because you're missing me. Last part of chapter 7. Excuse me. Divisions of people. We, we, I'll sum it up for you. Respond, uh, there's, there's about six different responses. Response number one. This is the prophet. Everybody say partial belief. Response number two, this is the Christ. Total belief. Some did believe, Brother Ross, which is good. This is a picture of revival. It's kind of what we're experiencing in this young adult group. Some come in, they have partial belief, they hang out for a while, and then because they don't want to accept everything, Brother Norman, what do they do? Sometimes they leave. Response number two, we got people that believe and they stay. Response number three, will he come from Galilee? It's got to be from David's lineage in Bethlehem, and he's got to come from Bethlehem. And they're ignorant of his origin because they weren't hungry enough to seek and find. There are some people that will never find apostolic truth. I don't care how much you witness to them. Jesus said, some, some cities are not going to be open to you. You know what you need to do? Sister Becca, you got to shake the, the dust off your feet and go on down the street and find somebody that's hungry. Condition of the heart. It's got to be hungry or you'll never see it. Response number four. The officers, awed by his speech. Never a man spake as this man. You ready? They're awed by it, but they're never converted. Response number five. The religious establishment. Harsh rejection and the belittlement of, uh, of all the people who do accept him. Why? Because they have rejected him and he threatens what they really want to do. They even reject his people. There are people attacking Calvary Tabernacle right now. Why? Because they don't want Jesus to tell them how to live. Now I know that's being pointed today. Response number six. Nicodemus' defense. Private belief but no public confession. So what are you saying? I'm just saying tonight that none of these responses really work. Partial belief leaves you outside of Acts 2.38 and you're not saved. People uh, who are ignorant because they weren't hungry enough, it's not, a, it's not a truth issue, it's a hunger issue. People that reject Him rather than give up what they want to do. And then that private belief. Oh, yeah.